your scriptures and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you're using a Red Pew Bible, it's page 952. I want to ask and answer one question today, namely, what is the church? There are many possible definitions coming from many different biblical angles, so to speak. But the term used in our passage in verse 9 says that we have been called into the fellowship, it says in verse 9, of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the word fellowship, it's used positively uh, in verse 9. It's later on in this book used negatively where Paul says, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons, which is a scary thought that's even possible. Um, Later on in 2 Corinthians, he says he doesn't want you to have fellowship with unbelievers and be unequally yoked. So there's some bad fellowships, but when you talk about church, This is the good fellowship. It's a New Testament word used outside the church. It's not just a church term or even a religious term, although it's true. It was used to describe a business partnership where you shared, that's the word, to share a business with someone else. So you were co-owners with two or three or more people. You shared in running and owning that business. It was also used of a marriage uh, when you shared a life together with your husband or your wife. And of course... Even in the secular world, in Roman and Greek world, it was used um, religiously about having a shared relationship with one of the gods in the Greek or Roman pantheon. It was also used just simply, and it's used in the Bible this way as well, to denote someone who's sharing their money instead of being selfish. They, they share it with other people. Um, I think of the word fellowship maybe more recently, give you the idea a little bit of how the Bible uses it here. Um, if you've ever read Tolkien's uh, series, The Lord of the Rings, or uh, as one of them is called, The Fellowship of the Ring. Now they get together, and this fellowship consists of nine people, nine members. It had four hobbits, two men, one dwarf, and one wizard. Interestingly enough, uh, that's how the uh, Corinthian fellowship was made up. It wasn't just a bunch of homogeneous uh, people who were exactly all the same way, all the same thing. No, there were a lot of differences. And in the and the Fellowship of the Ring, they had so many differences, so many backgrounds, so many. In fact, some of them didn't even like the other people in them. But they had one goal in mind, and that was destroy the Ring of Power and so destroy Sauron. So that, that was their goal. And, and, and the one goal that united them overcame all the differences and all the other things that would have otherwise kept them apart. It was the Fellowship of the Ring. And, and not to be too cheesy, but the Fellowship of the King is far greater Um, And we have that in the fellowship that we have here as the church. As I look in this passage, it's simple for me, and I hope it is for you too, that there's a twofold, two-dimensional fellowship, or as they might say in the New Testament, partnership um, that we have together. And number one, and that's verses one through nine, um, it's a vertical fellowship between God and believers, And then there is a horizontal fellowship that takes place, uh, and that's verses 11 through 17, and that's between believers and believers. But stick with me, because I want to build on this. It's vital that we grasp the crucial dynamic that takes place between these two. It is absolutely essential that you and I as church people connect these two. We have to connect the vertical and the horizontal fellowship, and they must be maintained together at all times. Because we're going to see in the text that the vertical fellowship 
is the basis for the horizontal one. Our partnership with God is the foundation of our partnership with each other. We could say it this way, vertical unity produces horizontal unity. And back in Acts chapter 18, and we don't have time to read it today, Paul is recorded as starting and planting the Corinthian church. And now time has passed and some problems have arisen. And what he wants to do, and what I like to do today for us, Um, is to remind us what the church is all about. We need to be reminded by it. And here's why. Chapter 2 and verse 12 says this. You have not received the spirit of the world, but you have received the spirit who is from God. And that's the tension, isn't it? He frames it this way in the beginning verses 1 and 2. He says, you are in Corinth, as I said at the table, and you are in Christ. And can I tell you this? This is the struggle that we face. How can I be in Corinth without being like Corinth? How can I be in Christ and live like Christ while I live in Corinth and everything is the opposite of what he would have me do around me in our culture? And the danger is, if we don't see that, that we will become individually and as a church more conformed to culture than we are to Christ. Let me give you an example. We live... And I think you'll obviously agree with this. We live in a highly consumeristic culture, a world where the customer is told that he or she is always right. And we like it that way. I mean, it creates in people this belief that their comfort and success are the most important things, no matter what it might cost anyone else. And we believe that long enough and we get that treatment often enough that we become what is named entitled. You know what an entitlement mentality is? It's a people who feel they deserve something more or something better just because of who they are. And we say, well, yeah, okay, Pastor Walker, I see that all the time in our culture in so many different ways. But let me tell you, ask you this question. What happens when we carry a consumer mindset into our church? What happens, answer in your heart, what happens when someone at church lets you down? What happens in a service when the music isn't that good today? Or the sermon is a little long, maybe even boring. Or the kids' ministry wasn't as exciting as they promised it would be. Can I tell you, most of the time, lack of perfection in the church is met with withholding money, complaining, demanding change, constant criticism, boycotting certain ministries, and even at times skipping out on church services or leaving altogether. And this is exactly, I I wrote down, this is exactly the same thing we might do if it were a business or a restaurant. If you don't get the service you expect or demand or wanted, you're not going back. And you might even let them know that. You might even withhold money in the tip if you think that was the right thing to do. And, and, and you choose to leave. I'm not, I'm not being a part of that business anymore. I will not attend or go back to that restaurant ever again. See, and that's what we expect. And that might be, it might be what we do in the world, or they do in the world. But what happens when we do that at church? The answer is we become consumers. See, but as Christians, as Jesus followers, we should remember that the church is not a business. It's a fellowship. See, it's not a restaurant. It's a relationship. Vertically, And horizontally. 
So let me say it plainly. Robert, Robbie Gallaty, and I'm going to put our church in there, he said it this way, and I'm putting Faith Baptist Church is not a restaurant with a menu. It is a relationship with a map. And by that, I mean this. When Jesus called his disciples, I read the Gospels too many times not to know this is true. He did not say to the disciples, all right, you guys, we've got preaching that we offer. We have miracle working. We have evangelism, discipleship, community. We exercise demons. We have all that stuff. Now, whichever one of these ones you like the most and you're interested in, you choose those, and I hope to see us soon, maybe next Sunday. That's not discipleship. See, that's a menu But what did Jesus say to his disciples? Come, follow me. He said, let's take a walk together. Let's take a journey together. He didn't offer them a menu with all the things that they might be interested in and let them pick and choose. You know what he said? He offered them a map. And what a map for Jesus is, is a a map with a destination at the end of it where it leads to discipleship because the goal is not your happiness but your Christ likeness and so the goal of the church is not just to give you everything you want the goal of the church is to take you down a road that will help you to become more conformed to the image of Jesus so as we keep in mind the dangers of what it means if we don't keep the vertical and horizontal together. Let me unpack them one at a time, just the two of them this morning in the few minutes we have left, and help you try to keep them together. The first one is obvious. Church is a vertical fellowship. In the middle of our text, in verse 10, can I start there today? Because on either side of it is the two angles or two perspectives of fellowship. But in the middle, he shows us why he's writing this. He says, here's what he says in verse 10 of chapter 1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers... He uses that a couple, three times in this chapter. Family, unity. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. That here's what he wants. I want all of you to agree. Not on everything about whether the church colors should be the No, the gospel, the doctrine. And what he wants you to see is I want you to major on the majors, right? What really matters, what God is most interested in. The truth of the word, that's what you need to all agree on, he says in verse 10. And that there be no divisions, it's the word schism, no splits about any of those things. And he says that you be united, and then he says, same mind, same judgment. See, in verse 11 he says, but that's really not what's happening. And in verse 11 he says, it's quarreling. The Greek word for quarreling quarreling is irides. And you know, it doesn't mean anything to you, but that was the name of the Greek goddess of war. Her job was in the Greek pantheon to stir up people to get them to want to fight each other. That's what her job was. And that's the word he uses. In other words, there's a battle going on in Corinth. And you know what the root of the problem was? Is that people were so different in Corinth. There were a lot of Jews and there were a lot of Gentiles. And they had different backgrounds, different languages. Some had been known Messiah for a long time. Some just came to know him. And they had stopped connecting the vertical with the horizontal. And it was hurting their relationships. So Paul, and I like to do the same, uses a key word in this text. And I just want to highlight it. It's the word called. Can you circle it in your text if you have a mental highlighter or actually a pen or pencil? Verse 1 has it. Verse 2 has it. Verse 9 has it. Verse 26 has it. I mean, four or five times in this passage that I read to you, Paul wants them to concentrate on the fact that they were called. In fact, 
He says this in verse 2. He says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, listen to this, ready? Called to be saints, together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So what's the basis of our vertical relationship with God in this fellowship? He called us, okay? He called Paul to be an apostle. He called the Corinthians to be saints. What is the basis of our horizontal fellowship? Look at verse 10. I appeal to you, you, brothers, see it? Same phrase in verse 2 as in verse 10. The basis for vertical is the name of the Lord Jesus. The basis for horizontal fellowship is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes us one. That's why, like the fellowship of the ring, we can be so different here. We can have 20 different nations, different skin colors, languages, backgrounds, social status, money. It can be so radically different here. But what binds us together, the vertical and the horizontal, is that we have one thing in common, and that is we all have adopted and taken together and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our unity. And so I wrote, our identity is our unity. Who we are as a church will determine what we do as a church. It is not what you want and what I want. It's what we should be doing flowing out of who we are. And by the grace of God, as the pastoral staff, that's what we try to do. We don't do certain things, and we've done certain things, not because that's just my cup of tea or yours. No, it flows out of who we are in God, in Christ Jesus. And Paul wants them to say this. Remember what that means. Paul says, God chose me to be an apostle. I didn't ask for it. I didn't pursue it. Listen, he called me to be an apostle. God pursued Paul on the Damascus road. God saved Paul. God called Paul. Corinthians, can I say it? People at Faith Baptist Church, you know why you sit in this pew today if you know him? Because he called you. He called, you weren't pursuing him. You weren't coming after him. He came after you. And then on top of that, listen to this, this will blow your mind. Called them to be what? Saints. Really? I mean, is that not an oxymoron? I mean, Corinthians, listen to what they were. How could he call them saints? And then in the next verse says, and I'm so thankful to God every time I pray for you. I want to say, reading the whole book over, are you serious? I mean, they were getting drunk at communion. They were insulting each other. They were immoral with people in their own families. They were causing chaos in the services. They were propagating doctrinal error about the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But here's what Paul says. You are saints. Really? I say, I used to think of saint being a person who was spiritually mature, but obviously it's not. It's someone who has the spirit of God. And what he's saying is, how can you call someone saints? How can you be thankful for a church that you started that is living like that? You know why? Because we have a common fellowship. Because the God of, and the truth is in Jesus Christ and the fellowship is with him. You know how else he uses the verb? Verse 9 of chapter 1. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called. Now here's the truth. Let me add on a little bit of commentary. See, God called you into this fellowship vertically. He's been really faithful to you. 
but you've not been faithful to him. You have departed on every level possible, but God has been faithful to you. And he says, and he's called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's our Lord. See the commonality? That's what brings us together. Not because we're all in the same place in our life in any way, shape, or form. But Paul knew this, and he wanted the Corinthians to be reminded of it. That, see, God knows that his calling to be an apostle, their calling to be a Christian, were all undeserved. Do you get that? When you look at the mirror every morning and you wake up, you say, oh, God, thank you. I'm not worthy that you called me. They had not sought God, but he had sought them. And that's why three times in the text he keeps telling them, hey, grace be to you and peace. Then he says, let me tell you, next verse, verse 3, let me tell you about the grace of God. And by the way, let me tell you how abundantly he's graced you. He didn't just save you, but he poured out his grace on you and gave them so many spiritual gifts that were alive at that time. He says, you don't, you don't lack on anything. So God saved them. He gave them all their gifts. I mean, their church was filled with that, the Spirit of God in that way. But can I tell you this? They were not there yet. Paul says he's confirmed the testimony, verse 7, that Jesus Christ was in them. He says, but let me tell you this, he'll confirm it and sustain it unto the end. In other words, here's where they were, and someday when Jesus came back at the revelation of Jesus Christ, he says, someday this is where they will be, but here's what he would say if he was here today. He says, that church was a church in progress. It was a work in progress. Today we'd say it, the church at Corinth was a fixer-upper. Have you ever watched Fixer-Upper, anybody? Chip and Joanne Gaines, right? You've seen the show. I've seen it more times. My wife likes it, so I'm often forced to watch it. <laughs> but what, what they do is they take this house. Sometimes it's really bad. Sometimes it's just not that beautiful or it's outdated or it's old. And it always has problems, Right? And it's a fixer-upper. Isn't that the definition of it? I mean, and they make progress. And they show, you know, they're doing this room, and then they do the kitchen, and they do this, and they, bathrooms, and they, and all along the program, they're showing you progress. And you're going like, wow, that's going to be really cool. I can't wait to see how this all turns out. And at the very end of the program, they have this big thing on wheels, kind of like a moving board, and, and, and they put the couple or the person or whoever it is who's getting the house redone, they sit them out on the street, and they put this big thing on it, what their old house was. They had a picture of what the old house was on this board. And, they, and then they are one on each end, chip on one end, join on the other. And what do they, what do they say? Are you ready? Are, they, are you ready to see your fixer-upper? And then, I, this is my favorite part of the show. I'd probably watch this part and just leave the other part out. But they move this thing, and then they don't show the house first. You know, what do they show first? Oh, their face is like... You know, like crazy. And, or sometimes there are like tears coming down. And one people jumping around, you know, like this. So I'm wondering behind that, is there really a house there? Is just a pile of money? I don't know what's over there. But I mean, they are so excited to see their house. Now, let me tell you this. Here's what God says about the church. See, we're a work in progress. We, we, yes, positionally, you're called saints. Corinthians were far from living out sainthood. Can I tell you that? I mean, and we're still working on this room at Faith Baptist Church. Aren't you? Still working on this problem. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, one of the things I'm working on right now in my own life is I'm trying to think the best first. Right? 
I want, someone says something about someone else, I go like, I don't believe that. I don't, I'm not believing that until I hear it from them. You know why? Because it's too easy to jump to the worst case scenario. You know what I want? I want love says this, 1 Corinthians, it, love thinks the best. So I, I'm, try, I'm working on that one. And aren't you working on stuff? And here it is. We are our work in progress. But you know what the show's about? This house doesn't look that great, but it has potential. Don't they always say that? Oh, yeah, I can see that. See, you can look at this house, and they say, looking at it as bad as it is, oh, I, I can see this house is going to be great. Right? And then what happens? Every time they get behind a wall, they're going to do this. Oh, my word, we never saw that. And it's rotted under there, and there's some dead animal in there. Or something, I mean, there's always something they never expected, right? Isn't that how it is in your life and mine? I hate to say it, but isn't that true in the church? I mean, we think that we're getting better at this, and then, oh, my word, what's behind that wall? We're making progress, but guess what? We're all waiting, aren't we? For God the Father and Son to stand on either side of the big board with what we used to be like and say, God's going to say someday, we get to, see, are you ready for your fixer-upper? And he's, see, they're going to pull that board all the way across the heavenly stage and you're going to look and say, oh my, your facial expression of what you are going to be, amazing. But can I tell you that? The church of God is a fixer-upper. It is. Faith Baptist Church is a fixer-upper. Let me say this. You and I, we are fixer-uppers. We are. There are no perfect churches. Let me give you an obvious one. There is no perfect pastor. There's no perfect people. That's why we need grace and peace. Shalom. I think we shouldn't be surprised too greatly when people in ministries don't always have their act together. You know why? Because we're fixer-uppers. Now, let me tell you, that could be an excuse for not having excellence, and it should never be, but it is a reality. He goes on to say in verse 26, the last use of the word call, he says this, for you see your calling, brethren, not many rich, not many noble, not many mighty. He goes, it's the weak things, it's the small things, it's the, the insignificant, worthless things. That's how God changes the world. That's how it says three times, God has chosen, God has chosen, God has chosen. He designed it that. Listen, he designed Faith Baptist Church to have all kinds of different people with all kinds of talents and gifts and graces, but also all kinds of weaknesses and problems. Why? So that we would always keep the focus on him. That's vertical church. Vertical fellowship. But the other half of it is horizontal fellowship. See, they had lost their focus. They got their eyes off of God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, about what Jesus had done and God had done to bring them into fellowship with him. They forgot about how much they needed grace and how much of a fixer-upper they were. All they could see was how bad you need to be a fixer-up and somebody needs to really renovate your house. Or the church, <laughs> they need to really work on that and we forget sometimes that we're all fixer-uppers and they had done that. You know what resulted in? Quarreling, people not being on the same page, not same thinking and judgment. They had concentrated making major, minors, majors, and vice versa. They lost focus. You can't see in the English, but in the verses 10 and 12 of the text, it says in the original languages, they they should be saying this, verse 10, saying the same thing, saying the thing 
saying. They should have been saying this. But in verse 12 says, instead, they're saying this. They weren't saying things in agreement. They were saying things to divide other people. Here's what they were saying. Here is the restaurant menu of pastors. Ready? Paul, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Kepha. That's the Aramaic view. Christ. See, there were Jews and Gentiles in this church. I don't know if they, Apollos was a Greek-speaking person. That's his name is Greek. Maybe they were going, the Greek people wanted him because he was really eloquent and Paul was not a great speaker. Maybe they wanted to say, oh, I'm with Paul because, you know, he started this church and I'm sticking with him. Or they, Kepha, we don't know that Cephas ever went to Corinth and to this church, but people said, oh yeah, he's one of Jesus' disciples, and so that's the guy I'm following, and we get all of our cues from him. And then maybe the ultra-spiritual group said, hey, none of those people matter, because we follow Jesus. You know what they were doing? They had lost their focus. It wasn't on God and the basis of his name anymore. It was the leader's. It was maybe being consumers, what they were going to get out of it and what they believe in, and it was destroying their fellowship. So Paul counters with this argument. Ready? Verses 13 through 16. Is Christ split up? So if you follow him, is he split up? Then why are you? Listen to this. Was Paul crucified for you? Let me tell you this. You say you follow Paul. Let me tell you this. He didn't die on the cross for your sins. And then watch this. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? At the end of verse 15, he says it again. I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody because you can't claim my name, he says. Remember what we said in verses 2 and 10? What's the basis of our vertical fellowship? The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Paul says? Horizontally, don't start focusing on me or a pastor or a leader or a ministry or the way you think it ought to be. He says every time you focus on someone's name other than Jesus, horizontally bad things happen. It does. Paul is struggling to help the Corinthians see that their focus should be on Jesus. That's how you keep the vertical and the horizontal together. And every time we get our eyes off the vertical and put them on horizontal, we're going to be disappointed, we're going to be frustrated and discontent. Can I tell you about that? So many churches today are growing not because they're evangelizing the lost, not because they have disciples making disciples, but because their growth is a result of discontentment. People get upset and mad because their focus is on the horizontal and they leave this church and go to another one. You know why? Because they think it's better. That very same discontentment that advertisers actively seek to cultivate in their target audience is this very same discontentment of many consumer Christians today. And as believers of God, we are to remember this. We do not handle our discontentment at church the way we do if we were discontent with Walmart or Honda or Longhorn Steakhouse. I don't know about you. I like my steaks medium to medium rare. You bring me a shoe leather piece out here, it's going back to the kitchen. Right? And I might decide to say something about it. I may, not, I may go to a different steak place next time. That's not how it works in God's house. This isn't Walmart, and this isn't Honda, and this isn't Longhorn Steakhouse. We're not offering a menu here. We offer a map, and we're all in the Jesus journey together. Pastor Walker, how do you do that? 
because you're bordering on going over. And remember that bad thing you said about boring and too long? How do we keep our focus? How do we keep the vertical and horizontal together? He doesn't leave us guessing, and we're going to say much more about it because it's a lead-in to the next text. Remember what Paul said? Did I, was I crucified for you? Crucified? No. I'm not the sinner. The cross is the center. You know what he says at the end of our text in verse 17? Look at it. He says, if, if I baptize people and you follow me, God didn't send me to baptize he sent me to preach the gospel. That's what he did. He says, and if I don't do that, and I, or I did it with, listen to this, words of eloquent wisdom. If I borrow from the world, consumerism, selfish me-ism, if I borrow from the world's wisdom, and I preach messages like that, and I base my ministry like that, you know what the result would be? I would be emptying the cross of its power. You know what the power is to keep the vertical and the horizontal together when you don't like certain things? Can I say it bluntly for certain people? How do you keep it all together? The cross. It's the power of the cross. We need to preach to ourselves the power of the gospel and the cross. That God has graced us and called us and gave us what we weren't deserving of. And every time I look at the shortcomings of someone else, I look in the mirror and say, oh God, thank you for fixing me up. Thank you for still working on me. He says, and when I don't, I empty the cross of its power. See, it takes the cross and its power for you to deny yourself. It takes the cross and its power for you to be dead to your self-agenda and purposes and mine. Doesn't it? See, that's what, see, when we get our eyes off of that, off of Jesus, of God and the cross... That's where quarrels and divisions happen because we make our agenda the main thing. And here's what Paul says. You can't do that and keep the vertical and horizontal together. He says it takes the power of the cross. Listen, Jesus' cross where he died for you and your cross that you take up every day to die to sin. He died for sin. You die to it. Those two kept together. That's the fellowship of the church. Let's close in prayer. Father, let us underscore again, we are fixer-uppers. And we long for the day that Jesus might take us home, maybe in the rapture today. But as we wait, Father, then we look at each other and we look at our church. We are a work in progress. Called saints, but often don't live that way. But Father, we're thankful that the verse says, and he'll sustain you unto the end. That grace is going to continue to work in our lives as we truly know you. That one day, when they move the board, we're going to stand amazed at what you have done. Until then... May that grace that you've given to us vertically overflow into the horizontal relationships that we might keep it together to the power of your cross and for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.